Hi everyone, my name is Yarek Samoylov with the podcast and designer. Today our guest is Alex Moksyakov. He's a machine learning and AI engineer and Twitch streamer known as MelkyDev and he's a big fan of Vim. Today we talk about AI and and just trying to understand how AI work. So if you ever been into that, maybe you will learn something new from it. Enjoy the show. Hey, thank you. Thank you very much for being here on the podcast. Absolutely. Um, so and I like I will I want to start right off the bat. I have something that's bothering me. How does okay. the interface looks like of the AI? Like how do how do you work with it? <laughs> Are you asking specifically in our like in our domain, in our company domain, or like just as a whole, like how do engineers interact with AI? Yeah, how engineers interact with it. So the the answer is a little bit uh, complicated and layered, but I'll give you kind of the rundown. So essentially within the, the spectrum of AI, there's different instances of like what people work with. So people like myself, I work with language, right? I'm a natural language processing engineer for AI machine learning. Um, there's people who work with computer vision and stuff. And that's a whole different branch of AI. There's people who work with like, you know, AI can, it's like front end development, back end development, DevOps development, right? It's like we're all programmers, but you have your specialty. Same with AI. And so the interface or how these engineers work in their dom- domain specifically has to relate to the data they receive. So my data is text-based. So what I, my job is basically to clean that text so it's simplified enough that when I program my neural network, which is basically just um, like these mathematical statistic layers or formulas all clustered mm-hmm. together to somehow generalize or learn and create a pattern that relates from one word to another, to another, to a full sentence, to a full phrase, et cetera, et cetera. And then the same parallel could be drawn for computer vision and you know generative as well. So it's all about like get your data, understand your domain, and then use like these packages like TensorFlow or PyTorch and the right combination of layers to create your model, to create your neural network that's able to mm-hmm. gain the most out of that data. Okay, but but the interface will always look kind of the same. Mm. So when you mean interface, do you mean like, like the code that we're writing? No, like interaction with it. So if if we're talking, if it's MySQL, you have like database app. Mm. Yep. What do you have? <laughs> what we have is just basically like a script. Like, I guess, okay, so we have a script, like a, it could be a regular Python script or a Scala script, whatever. But once you train the model, you get a file. You get like a little file. It's called like an H5 file or it's the weights. It's that's basically like the, if you want to think about like the brain of the model, it's like a little, it's like, it's a file, but you can think of it as like a microchip that uh, once you have it, you can like put it into your application or whatever. And you can actually test how well it performs on your data, how well it performs in like real life application post training. How well did your model, how well did you create your model? So the interface is just a regular, regular, regular old, you know, coding script. Okay. So, but the results that you get 
it's that in those files. So like, if you want to see how many, in in your case, it's text, as you said, yeah. you're normalizing yeah. text or changing text. In let's say if it's a like Tesla, when they have a bunch of photos and videos, how you see results? Yeah, so there's different. So with any neural network or any model training, you're always going to have training and testing batches. Um, and so to understand your results, you have your training set of data, which you then like, obviously you train the model, you train your neural network, and then you have your testing batch. So before ever going into uh, an environment where users like non-engineers are interacting with the model, your trained model has to go through a pretty strict regime of passing your testing set. So that's basically data that's never seen before. Right, so you train your model on data mm -hmm. that it's pretty standard, straightforward, maybe some like intricacies here in their edge cases. But then your testing set is a set that the model has never seen before. It can be similar data as a training set, mm -hmm. but it's data that it was never trained on, it's never seen it before. And so what you wanna do with that testing set is see, okay, model that I just trained, look at this data and let's see how well you actually do because if your model does well on training data, that just means it's really good at memorizing if it's not able to generalize on unseen results. Uh -huh. So here's like an example, an analogy, like studying for an exam, okay? Let's say you, for your exam's tomorrow, and today you found the copy mm -hmm. of the exam, the exact same copy. All you have to do is just memorize when to circle A, when to circle B, when to circle C. You're not actually mm -hmm. learning, okay, how do I answer this question? You're just memorizing A goes here, B goes here, C goes here. And when it comes to test, all you're doing is, okay, A, B, yeah. C, remember. That's not a good model. That and We can get into conversation. In some instances, like, that's actually a pretty solid approach. But if we're keeping it like how it should be done, what you want to do is never to see that answer sheet and study well enough that you are able to say, okay, I read this question. I'm fairly sure it's a based on, you know, the information I got from the question and all my previous knowledge. Uh -huh. But you, when you have a lot of data, yeah. how do you, so the result, what the result would be, is it percentage on the task? Mm -hmm. So um, the metric that we use, I, I think a lot of people use this as a standard metric. Um, it's called, there's different ways to identify how well your model does, but the three basic terms are called precision, recall, and F1. Precision, and these are all metrics, so they're, they're percentages, okay? Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, they're percentages. And these basically dictate or give you uh, an idea how well your model does within the environment that you set up for it. So again, within testing or training. And this precision recall F1, in an ideal scenario, you want all of these to be 100%, mm -hmm. okay? But that's very hard to do. Like, I think in any instance, like nothing's perfect. So- it Basically needs to know that the image between two dogs, it says that's dog, not cat. Yeah, exactly. 100% <laughs> of instances. Exactly, 100%. And like, that's very tough to do because 
the, the way a model works, it's not, it doesn't really look at the whole picture, right? It looks at like instances of, of the picture, right? So a lot of times there's, there's confusion, even between a dog or a cat, like some pictures could be blurry, some whatever, right? Um, and the more complex, like cats and dogs, that's like a pretty easy task. When you get more complicated, it gets harder and harder to do. And so typically what you'd get is you'd get a model after training and whatever that has, you know, let's say 91 precision and 96 recall. Okay. And depending on your use case, you have to, you have to decide what do you value more? Do you value you know, the recall being a bit higher than precision mm -hmm. or do you need to kind of switch it around or are you okay with what the model is right now? So those are just metrics to kind of help the engineer decide which way to take their, their model training, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And you, is that you who decide where we go? Yeah. The engineer is, it should be responsible for how to like change it and how to make, you know, the trade-off, but essentially the person decides like what they value more could actually also be like a business person or like a, like a, you know, even like a CTO, someone who really understands the technological aspect of the product with how it relates to user experience. Yeah. That's where I'm going really. <laughs> because yeah. if you have to make a decision there, it seems like it's user experience related. So you absolutely want a particular answer to customer. Yeah. And I think that's like with programming a lot of the time, right? Like engineers, backend engineers, front engineers, like we think in our little bubble of how to make it like work a function. We sometimes don't see that the product we're working is for non-engineers, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, have you ever seen Silicon Valley? Yeah. I so when they first, <laughs> yeah, when they first released their product, they only showed it to engineers and engineers loved it. They're like, this is amazing. Like such a good beta. Like you guys are going to kill it. The second non-engineers got it, they took a hit because they only focused on their world. Um, and so I think every programmer developer gets sucked into that one way or the other. And you need to have that kind of bridge that PM or that, you know, whatever to be like, Hey, like I understand both sides at a different perspective. Like, a, like I understand both yeah. sides. This is what the user wants. And you as the engineer, I can tell you like what they want and you can translate that. And like in this example, is that more of a precision score or more of a recall score for the model? Can, can you say again, what is recall? Yeah. So, okay. So precision recall, it's like, it's tough to explain, but precision is like when I make a guess. So when I predict something, right, mm -hmm. if I'm a model, if I want to predict between a cat or a dog, when mm -hmm. I predict dog, I want to be like a hundred percent sure that it is, is a dog, right? Mm -hmm. Recall is like, let's say I have a hundred pictures. I want to make sure out of the hundred, I at least get 51 pictures of a dog. Like I want to guess, I want to get the most dogs out of the full available dogs. Oh, wow. Why do you need that? So why you need recall is when you get, as your data grows, you'll get more and more instances of like labeled, labeled data, right? So recall, it's like, okay, for all the different variations that we can take a picture of a dog, I want to have familiarity with how do you predict that it is a dog, whether the dog's like, you know, lying down or, or something's obstructed, like whatever, it's just, you want your model to um, be able to predict 
when it is a dog versus when it's not, as opposed to precision where it's like it may not guess all the time that it is a dog, but when it does guess it is a dog, you can bet it is in fact a dog. Uh-huh. See, it's a little complicated to explain. Yeah. You, like, like, precision's like, you know, yeah, I, okay. Like, exactly. It's like, I would rather not, exactly. It's like, I would rather not make multiple guesses as opposed to one guess that I know 100% is, is, is the right thing versus recall. It's like, I'm willing to take multiple guesses if I'm able to get majority of the total labels correct. Oh, so that's for labeling. No, it's no. for predicting. It's for, for predicting. predicting. Yeah, labeling is a whole different can of worms. Yeah, so you have to. Yeah, you have. So you have to label it manually. Yeah, that's that is like the biggest issue in AI. It's data. Because yeah, I heard how Tesla does it. I think they. I believe there is a person who made initial, like not person, but team who made initial labeling. And yep. then model makes labeling and another layer when people again review it and say, yep. that's not, that's not the car. Yeah. So with labeling, that is like, it's like the first step that to leads into the model building. But that first step is the most important step in any of the following ones. Mm -hmm. If you're labeling, it's like the simple uh, thing where it's like garbage in equals garbage out. So if you're labeled data, if you're training data as garbage, mm -hmm. you're gonna get garbage results from your model. It's not, it's not like, it's not magic, right? It's all very, very like, once you look under the hood, you understand that there's like very, not that many smoke and mirrors magic happening. It's like a very sequentially, very, um, it makes a lot of sense. And so mm -hmm. with the whole labeling thing, it's like, at the end of the day, you will need someone with like very high level domain expertise to validate your label. And that has to be a human because mm -hmm. if it's not, you get to the point where what's the point in training in machine learning to label data, if you're going to use that label data to train a machine learning to identify it, you know, you get into yeah. the, like the endless loop. So that's where the human interaction for labeling is, is going to be a huge or is such a high demand. Uh-huh. It's like pretty boring job. It's the worst. When I first started our company, like the first thing we all discussed, you know, the CTO and, and, and my uh, mentor, we were all discussing like, how can we get data? Like, how can you build your neural network if there is no data? And we sat around and like, we couldn't figure out a way and, you know, uh, CTO was making decisions as to maybe allocate some money to get some people to label. And I didn't want to wait. So I manually labeled some of our data. I went through like mm -hmm. 10, like up to 20,000 rows of data and just labeled. It was 20, horrible. 20,000 rows of data and you read it through and says, this is service, whatever. So yep. 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 Jesus Christ. It was awful. I spent like eight hours a day, uh, eight hours a day, like once every three days in total, maybe like 14 hours of my week or up to 20 hours of my week, I would spend labeling. Yeah. And because we needed it. Yeah. I understand labeling because it's, it's, it's you, if you learn something new that you never, that you, that you don't understand, 
and the person who teaches you they say you have to do it this way but that's completely wrong way like something completely not appropriate and you mm -hmm. just continue doing this way and that's not wrong it's not right exactly exactly and so labeling um we discovered that because i was so new because i didn't have enough domain expertise my labels were incorrect a lot of the time my labels were incorrect just because i didn't know right like i, I don't blame myself I was eager to get labels. I'm happy I did it, but I just didn't have enough expertise. And so we came up with an idea that, hey, we have these people who've been working here for a long time. They know the ins and outs. They deal with the chat application. These people should be the ones to label. And one thing um, to note for labeling is it's not a good idea to have one labeler. You're going to have to have mm -hmm. an uneven amount of labelers. And like I say uneven because you don't want to have a tie of labelers who you can compare their labeled data and if all of them agree you that's your gold set that's your gold standard mm -hmm. if seven people agree that this is a a dog then you bet it's a dog right if you have like five people versus two people think it's a dog you know i'll probably say it's like bronze level data where it's like mm -hmm. you don't want to weigh this as equally as when it's unanimous decision and then you have your silver tier where it's like six people versus one disagree. And then you could say, yeah, it's this one's more, we're more sure that it's a dog versus bronze, but not as sure as a gold set. Mm -hmm. So you can tier it, right? And um, and if there's anything else, you probably just want to disregard it, right? If you have like a four, three split where four people think it's a dog, three people think it's not a dog, I would disregard that data. I'd be like, this is just, there's too much, there's too much here. It's too much of an edge case that our team can distinguish it. Like, like we don't want to train our model with this right now. Oh, so it will skip that, yeah. that, if, that task if it gets it. Well, I would, I, as from a label perspective, I would instruct the team to just like, I would just, I would get rid of it in my training data. I would just remove it from the training batch and use like the bronze silver tier data to train the model. No, but not, not from that perspective, from uh, when it's actual task. Mm -hmm. So when, AI gets the task, gets the initial data from anonymous person. It reads it and it understands, oh, this is bronze. What it does. Yeah. So the model won't understand that it's a bronze or a silver or gold because it's trained in the same batch. What it will do though, is its confidence in answering will not be as high as if it is a gold set instance from anonymous user right mm -hmm. so if it's like um this creature goes bark i'd say it's a gold because it's super obvious it's a, it's a dog mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to like hey this animal likes bones well mm -hmm. you know there's lots of animals that like bones but it's pretty sure it's a dog versus mm -hmm. like a bronze where it's like this animal has four legs and it's like there could be so many animals that have four legs we don't know it, it could be a dog so once it sees like different inputs like that, the model isn't as confident in its answer. So it, it there's more margin of error, right? Uh -huh. So with four legs, well, I, I think it's a giraffe when it should have been a dog, right? So the that's why the training data is so important for the model because it really dictates how it's able to answer those new and unforeseen uh, questions posed to it. Mm -hmm. Does it? Is it biased? Does it look Could for the be. dog? 
Yeah, it could be, depending on how you train, depending on how your data is set. Everything goes back to data. Like the easiest part in a machine learning engineer's job is making a neural network. That's easy. Like that, that takes 12 minutes. All I have to oh, do yeah. is import. Yeah, that, that's all I, all I have to do is import layer from package, stack it, I'm done. That, that's easy. The thing that, that is the most important part, I think that takes like 95% of my time is the data cleaning and to make sure that I don't introduce bias. It's the facts that I don't want my data to be skewed and uh -huh. in, in one category versus the other. I want to make sure that's balanced. I want to make sure that there's not crap in my data. There's no garbage information that's clean. And that takes like days to weeks to months to perfect. And so how would you, how would you clean data? Uh, cleaning data is like a, it's a whole different process, but like, you know how you mentioned normalizing earlier, mm -hmm. that's, that's a way of cleaning data. Um, like in, in text base, right. And natural language processing, a way to clean data is to get rid of like the, ah, uh, uh, like all those small things that really don't like the, in, what you want when you clean data is to really extract the core intent. So let's mm -hmm. say the core, let's say the sentence, like I want to go on a plane. The intent is you on a plane. The, the things that really distinguish that sentence is plane and going. So you should be as a data engineer, you should clean that data. We can remove the, you know, uh, words that don't really mean anything in that sentence to just focus on, like, I need to focus on plane going I, and then that should be enough to distinguish that this is like a traveling intent or something like that. So cleaning, it's a lot of like removing unnecessary information. It's a lot of, you know, making sure that the sentence or the data is um, similar to all other instances of the data or rows of data, but still has like the unique distinction amongst between itself. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, that would be all things that I would consider data cleaning, but there's so much that goes into it that I have, I have never probably explored, read about. There's just so many different things. Okay. Can you touch a little bit on the neural network that you mentioned? What is, yeah. what is that, what it, what it does and how it looks like? Hmm. So a neural network, what it does at the end of the day, it boil, it, it's simply just like a, a bunch of statistical models, statistical probabilities that come together and go through iterations of iterations of iterations of like mathematical processes via these things called like uh, loss functions and optimization functions, which these like the math behind them are even beyond me, right? Like I, I wish my true knowledge of these things go beyond just like a very shallow level, but uh, they don't. And so all I, all I could really say confidently is like, each parameter decides like how well your model is able to decide whether it, you know, how to classify it or how to really say what that item is like via intent or again, back to our dog example. Right. So mm -hmm. a neural network is like, a, it's like a bunch of layers, right. With, and each layer has a bunch of nodes. So a node mm -hmm. goes into a layer and a layer goes in with other layers to make a neural network. So, yeah. Right. So at the, at the most granular level, you have your nodes 
and the nodes is where basically you have like some level of statistical analysis being done or some mathematical uh, probabilities being uh, executed to decide whether that piece of information belongs to category A, B, or C, or what have you, right? Um, and that node is a part of a layer. So there's a bunch of these nodes at each layer, and each node is doing the same mm -hmm. mathematical uh, like operation. Mm -hmm. And each of those nodes are going to come to potentially a different answer or a different variation of the answer. Mm -hmm. Now, from that layer, you, you'll go to the next layer where you'll basically take those mathematical operations from layer one, you bring them into layer two, and you repeat the process. So layer two takes all the information that the previous layer did, it goes through its iterations of mathematical operations, and then it repeats and repeats it. And essentially, you're, you're funneling down. Uh -huh. So your layers start typically wider uh -huh. with more nodes because you want it to be like fresh. You want it to go through every other possibility, every potential possibility of what the answer could be. And then you narrow down. Right. So from first layer, it's like it could be anything, really. And then your second mm -hmm. layer, it's like, OK, well, now we understand that it's probably a little bit more. It should be more um, rigid in the answer. It should be mm -hmm. we should be getting closer to it. And as you go through all the layers and all the nodes, you get down to kind of the end portion of your layer, your last layer, your last batch of nodes where, you know, your answer is either going to be like a zero for a cat mm -hmm. or a one for a dog or a two for any other animal. Mm -hmm. So that's basically the gist of it. It's, it's just a bunch of mathematical operations that live inside nodes, that live inside layers that come together to form a neural network. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, what you explain is kind of similar to what cust oh, customer, what humans see. If you see something from the distance and it's not, you're not sure, you're like, okay, it looks like a person. Mm -hmm. coming closer. Oh, it's a man or a woman. Mm -hmm. And you just determine with more information determine. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that's really interesting, and I'm happy you made that that pull back to like the human connection, is humans, when we process something, like we have like the eye senses, we have like touch all our senses, right? And based on that, we can make a conclusion of what what we're interacting with. With a neural network, especially in preliminary production phase, like we're still so early on into AI, but in preliminary phases, like we're only really processing like one dimension of data, like one sense, like, like in natural language processing, our data is one dimensional word. That's all it's getting. Mm -hmm. So that's why like a lot of the times it's not able to, you know, uh, draw the same conclusions as a human can, or it mm -hmm. can, but in some edge cases, it can't. So that's the main distinguishing thing between AI and humans is AI may be able to do the very generic, like super simple case better than a human. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to like those very intricate, like, like head scratches, like, uh -huh. huh, like that could be this or that, or, but you know what? It's probably this, a human will do better for now because AI and neural networks still struggle to make creative generalizations on data and on their domain they don't have that kind of outside the box thinking that humans do mm -hmm. yeah from i was thinking about design and ai and that people say ai will never replace designers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and 
we split designers into UI and UX very often, even though you don't, you shouldn't really. It's mm-hmm. like to to me, it's designer is just storyteller, and the UI part is just like how you wanna visually it represent. Yep. Sometimes yes, you have yeah, visuals affects uh, your story, but at the end of the day, I think it comes from the story. So the story is very hard to come up with if you AI, I think. Like for AI, it will be the toughest task. But for UI, I think designer could just say, hey, I need sidebar here with six elements and just show me, you know, the best ones. Yeah. I don't need to design something already, already there, basically, in that sense. No, and you're right. And like, that's like, people need to realize that AI is simply a tool. Like we, the people shouldn't get like all frightened by like the releases from Facebook or open AI about their like most breakthrough, like things like those are like top of the line. Like we're not going to see that anytime soon. Right. Like those are just like the beginning steps. It's like, it's like if I were to make the comparison of like the internet, like, like what they're doing now is like the early 2000s of what the internet, right? Look mm-hmm. what happened 21 years later and look how we're able to Zoom, we're able to work remote and like, but we weren't able to do that in the early 2000s. Barely anyone was able to do that, right? So we're we're in that same level as AI right now where it's mm-hmm. like, okay, we finally have a lot of the things to prove the theoretical knowledge based on like research back in the like 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s who were like theorizing about the possibility of deep neural networks, but they never had the hardware data to execute mm-hmm. it. And now 50 years later, it's like, well, we have amazing hardware, we have cloud capability, and we have so much information. We can actually test their hypotheses and test their theoretical uh, you know, reports. And, and that's where we're at now. And that's what Google and, and OpenAI, like they're research companies, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're not, they're not producing applications using AI. Because they're still researching how it can even get there, mm-hmm. right? So, like, even in our domain, like, yeah, we have a neural network, but I mean, it's not—it's not groundbreaking. It's not—it's it, definitely not like if we were to just put the neural network, like, would be out of business, like, a hundred percent, because our neural network is used as one tool with all the previous code that was created to handle edge cases and, you know, like logic handling, right? Mm -hmm. AI has to be just a tool that you use to handle the mundane tasks, but there's so much other stuff that is needed to really make it work. You're not going to just have AI do it all. And, and, you know, you kind of dust your hands off. Like we are far from that. I see. And the neural network, you don't, write it right i do so do you have to write every node i don't have to write every node what's simple with with the way like packages like tensorflow and pytorch do is it's basically baked in but i have to decide what layer to use so every layer has different like different functionalities so like for example like a convolutional one dimension layer handles data differently than a convolutional 2D dimensional layer, right? It's just, it's the way it processes data is very different. Um, And Mm -hmm. so me as an engineer, I have to figure out, okay, so what composition of layers do I need? What number of nodes do I assign to each layer? And Mm -hmm. what 
other tactics of like reducing too much data or amplifying not enough data or removing data, flattening data, all these other stuff to make the neural network just work. That's a bit of a pain mm -hmm. just to make it work. And B, how can I make it work even better? Mm -hmm. Okay. But it doesn't, at that point, it's not targeted to certain data. It doesn't know what it will get and what it should give up. Yeah, at that point, um, when you're basically making the skeleton of your neural network, you should have like, so there's different neural network architectures, right? So an architecture for handling computer vision is going to look very different in, than like an architecture handling data, like, uh, I mean, text. Um, so like that is different dimension. Different dimension, different number of layers. Uh, the width of the neural network is different as well. So there's things like that from like an architecture point of view mm -hmm. that you should be aware of. And then once you get down into it, if you're dealing with like binary classification, so either a zero or a one, then you have to design your last layer to output two uh -huh. ending results, as opposed to, let's say we're dealing with uh, every time we get a text, it could be one of eight things. Then our last layer has to output eight possibilities of what that could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is really interesting. And the, <laughs> yeah. the neural network is, is the core. So it's if you get the data in, yep, it's always goes through through that network. Um, it goes through it once, so it trains it like one time, and every new piece. So once it's trained, let's say it's in production. Every time you pass in a new unforeseen text or using it, like yeah, it does go through that same process of like, okay, I'm going to split the data up this way. I'm going to extract all information from training, and like I should be able to match the pattern to what I have already learned. So when next time it gets some data, does it does it still go through, or like when it's get so when we're talking about task again, let's see this message in the chat. Mm -hmm. Does it go through that network? Uh, it does, but it doesn't reteach itself. Oh, it does not. It does not reteach itself. It that's a whole different branch of AI. But when it sees a task, it doesn't reteach itself. It just says, "Do I know what this is? And if I do, how confident am I in knowing what this could be?" So that's why it's fast. It doesn't have to like training is the long take a long time. Training is a long time. Yep. Yeah. Um, typically, what uh, what I've seen from my experience, production, what companies use to retrain is like once every month, once every three months, blah, blah, blah. Once you have like another pool of data, and this goes all the way back to our beginning conversation of labeling. Once mm -hmm. you have like more labeled data and, and an adequate process of doing that, then you can retrain the, the model to, to, you know, handle the unforeseen cases or some other problem cases. There is one related question. So when you train your neural do you, you train network right yeah so when you train it over time let's say if again we compare it to human adults have certain like when you get older you you maybe see things in one way only mm -hmm. and you it's like you know you cannot train new trick an old dog yeah, yeah, yeah. applicable to a neural network i think a little bit for sure i think um like the neural network, it doesn't necessarily get stale or stubborn like a human would. Yeah. Um, 
but but you have to be careful because if you're feeding it the same answer data, the neural network is is lazy. A neural network is super lazy. Okay, so if you show a data where ninety nine percent of the data is a dog and one percent a cat, it's gonna be like you know what? Like I'm gonna get it right ninety nine percent of the time if I just always say it's a dog. Oh yeah. So I'm just always gonna say it's a dog, and I should be fine. There you go. Right, a neural oh, network is in ninety in nine in nine case out of ten it gets a dog. Exactly, and that's why you have to be careful where your data is not like because mm-hmm. a neural network it's not trying to learn, it's not trying to be smart, it's just trying to figure out the answer. And if it does, awesome! It it's 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 chilling. It's it's having a good time. Um, so it, like that's why you have to be careful when your data is not balanced. Because if your data is not balanced, if it's truly like 90, 90 dogs versus 10 cats, mm-hmm. yeah, your thing's gonna be lazy. Like I'm not like, I'm just not even gonna try to think it's a cat. Why do I need to do this if I know majority of the time it's gonna be a dog? Like I'm good. 90 is fine for me. That's interesting. Yeah. So if you keep feeding it the same data, that's like the Balance. same answer. It's gonna be like, well, it seems like all I have to do is really know this one thing. Like I'm fine. <laughs> like it, it's it has to do it's like a hundred times, a hundred million times. I don't know when it determine. Okay, I'm now I'm lazy. <laughs> yeah, like it's just gonna find out that the data is being skewed, and it's gonna be like, well, okay, like this is. I'm... <laughs> But if it, what if you you feed it with a lot of da- same data, and then you give it something else, what will happen? If you so if your data at the beginning is balanced adequately, it's gonna be like okay, like I'm gonna have to like like work hard. But if you if you retrain it with unbalanced data to skewed, yeah, you you could potentially like bias your model and and make it lazy. And that's a bad term to use, lazy. But I think it's very. Yeah, I got it. I think you can relate to it. Yeah, it, it is being lazy if 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 it works as you explain it. It it does a hundred percent because it's a statistical probability, right? Nine out of ten is better than one out of ten. So from a, from even from a statistical probability, it's like, yeah, like no problem here. Is you know I uh, I heard self learning machine self learning machine learning yeah. versus not is that same thing? Um. So when you say self learning, do you mean like reinforcement learning? I don't know. I just keep <laughs> hearing we're doing our machine learning is self learning machine learning. Yeah. Well, it, it essentially like it is and it's not like it's a very or it's a marketing term. It, yeah, it's all everything with AI is a marketing term. Everything with AI is is, is for marketing and machine learning and you know, uh, calling a spade a spade. But yeah, like I, I would say ours is ours definitely has elements of self learning because we make the effort of improving it. We make the effort of getting new data after you know every month to retrain and re go through the process. And like I've done this now twice where. I built the iteration of the model. It was in production. We were happy mm-hmm. with the results, and they were like, "Hey, we got new data. Like, kind of go through the whole process again." And then I would do that. I've done that twice now, um, and and like so. And that you know, as as static as that is, because I have to like get the data, make sure it's labeled with the labelers, go through the cleaning pipeline, then retrain the model. Like, it's not like the model is doing all that by itself, but by us doing that. In, with the intention to make our model better, better, then I would say our model is self-learning in a sense. It has elements of it that really make it better, more smarter than it was a month before. Mm-hmm. But it's not learning on real tasks, isn't it? 
Oh, it is. Yeah, it is. Ours is. Our, that, one thing I'm really proud of our model and our approach to neural networking is like we actually do it with with real data that we get from users. Like we don't we don't make pseudo data. We don't make, uh, you know, uh, fake data. We we use data that we see. We, we make our neural network like we, we trained it from day one from data that we, we, we have collected in our database from chats. How it trains is it gets this task, give you a prob prob probability on like 90% and does it need validation? That is yeah, it does. Yeah, it does need validation. So you typically want to separate your training data. Uh, like when you train it and then you have like a validation batch just to make sure that like how well is it doing? Um, and then like basically the way you want to think of it, uh, think about it is like um, there's these things, like if, there, if I were to draw you a graph, there's like these uh, maxima and minima, which is mean means like the, the low point of the graph and like another low point, but not as low as the first one. Um, so mm -hmm. think of it as like, um, like kind of like, uh, um, how do I describe this? Like mountains, you know, peaks and, and bottoms of a mountain, right? Mm -hmm. Like may, maybe you're at a certain peak of the mountain, but you could always go higher. Um, mm -hmm. And so the training validation point, it's to basically say, hey, model, like right now you, and, and the goal of the model is to go as low as possible for our argument, right? Let's say we want, we want to go as low as possible on our ex mountain example. And the lower we go, the more uh, adequate and the more uh, strong our model is. But let's say that instead of climbing down, we start climbing up. So the opposite, what does it mean right? It's climbing down. What it so does. it's it's so basically I'm, I'm finding a hard way to explain this, but um, it's it's it goes back again to like a graph being a minimum. It's like the lowest point of a graph. Yeah. What what is what it means lowest. It means that the loss like, function is at like the lowest value, essentially, meaning that our our model is is essentially determined that what it has taken, it's confident that it is it is associated itself with the right answer. Uh huh. So the lowest it goes, it's more closer to real answers. Yes. Yes. That let's let's mm -hmm. use that. It's obviously more complicated than that. But just yeah. to kind of draw you like a picture, let's that that's the way I'd like to describe it, right? Okay. And so let's say our whole goal in model training is to get to that lowest point. Mm -hmm. But let's say, let's say instead of going to the lowest point, we start diverging and going away from it, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say we start going upwards, actually. Our validation set and our optimizers and like all these other things that you can throw into a neural network is going to be like, hey, 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 wait, 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 wait. You're going the wrong direction. Let's steer you back into the proper direction of going low. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Do you do you adjust neural network nodes and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. Like we adjust the nodes, adjust the learning rate, uh, adjust the epoch size. Like we, there's a lot of a lot of parameters to change in the neural network. So will it? Because no nodes are trained, or not nodes? It's whole thing. Whole thing. The whole thing. Okay, so if you change some node, it doesn't really doesn't really affect the whole picture. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. Like, of course, like some cases, maybe you change a node, nothing will happen. But some cases, you change a node, and the whole thing changes, right? It's it's no if if I knew, anyone knew the the answer, like it, it, a lot more people, I think would would embrace the machine learning engineering aspect of it. But because it's like 
you never know until you do it mindset. That's, mm-hmm. that's what makes machine learning so complicated. And because there's not very a definitive way of properly like constructing a model, a lot of the times you spin your wheel, adjusting like all these other parameters and mixing and matching and just kind of seeing what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. You keep talking and in my head, there's a picture in, what was it? I think it was Blender. And in Blender, hmm. there is notes as well as in, in every 3D shader settings, right? Yep. You have one note connected to other, kind of the third, and each of them does something, mm-hmm. but it's, there is no brain to it, obviously. It's, it's all toward one goal, toward one thing. But in, in ne- neural network, at the end, you have this file that is, like you said, it's a brain. Mm-hmm. And the brain is always tied to that particular neural network or no. Can yeah. You- yeah, that's how it is. Because after you train it, um, you will get like this file, which is the brain. Yeah. Essentially. And, and like that is kind of the end result of the training of the model. So everything you want to go through goes through that brain slash file slash whatever terminology you want to kind of label it. How big is it? It depends. It's not really that big. I mean, the file size isn't that big. It's pretty compressed. Uh, they're particular, they're called like HDF5 files or just H5 files. Sometimes they're massive. Like with computer vision, they're massive. Like they can get really big with computer vision because it's two-dimensional, three-dimensional actually. Uh, with text data, they, they don't get that big, luckily for us. What do you mean big, big, big? It's like gigabytes, terabytes? Not terabytes. I've never seen them all not terabyte terabytes. size. I've, I've seen some potentially peak at a few gigs most of the time they're like a couple like up to 100 megabytes and ranging from 100 to like 750 megabytes oh okay and it, it stores variables essentially that's why you cannot change neural network <sighs> no what it stores is I, I, to be honest what it really stores is just like kind of a black box for me it, it stores the 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 best way I can put it is it stores the mathematical uh, combination of properties within the neural network to extract uh, information in the most uh, in the most probabilistic way. So in the way that gives you the the answer mm-hmm. the most times. So neural network doesn't know anything. The brain that's it. It will read brain. You, if I'm saying it correctly, it will read the brain and on the new batch of the data. Okay, no, no, okay, I see. So the neural network, once you have the output file, you don't really interact with the neural network you trained on. Mm-hmm. So the neural network you trained on, you train it and then you output this file, but you don't need that neural network to use that file anymore. Uh huh. That file comes pre-baked with functionality that it can make like a prediction or an evaluation on new data Mm -hmm. without actually having to use the original neural network that was into, that was created. Like the basically like, this is why, again, like neural networking. And one thing I learned here is like, it's statistical probability because the file you get at the end is just a way to process numbers or process data that gives you a, 
value at the end. So all the neural network does is able to formulate a multitude of mathematical equations and operations to get to the end result. Mm -hmm. Will you use the brain file somehow? Yeah, we do. Yeah, that's what you use at the end. Oh, you use the brain. So the you brain... use the you use that output file. Yep. Output file on on actual task. Yep, on production. So if you're gonna have a task, like let's say like a chatbot application, uh, on a local environment, you would use a neural network to create your brain file, and then in production, all you have in the chatbot is the actual brain file interacting with the data and the tasks. Mm -hmm. Interesting. How do you how do you feed data to to the neural network? I'm just trying to understand steps there. Um, yeah, so like th like that comes down to like a cleaning pipeline and like a lot of people do it differently. Uh, again, it depends on the task, depends on the domain. Um, but essentially like all you're really doing is uh, once you once your data is cleaned, let's say you've cleaned it, let's say you normalized it, let's say you did all that mm -hmm. uh, and you extracted all the good stuff from it. What you basically want to do is split it up what's what we, what like in in what we call like x and y data so x being like this thing is again i'm going to use a dog example mm -hmm. this thing has four legs is furry has teeth likes bones barks that mm -hmm. will all be your x mm -hmm. and your y is your actual label your y is dog uh-huh right so you have one label oh depending on your task right depending on your task you have you might have different animals there, basically. Exactly, exactly. You could be just, is it a dog or not? So one for dog, zero for anything else. Or you could be like, hey, I want to see if there's a dog or a cat or a mouse. So it's like a one, two, or three, and then zero for everything else. Mm -hmm. What is the common task for you? Like, what do you do as a AI engineer? Like, what do you day-to-day -day task look like? Data cleaning. A majority of my day is data cleaning. Um, Taking the data, cleaning it, trying to extract most mo the most information I can out of it. Um, also, iterating through different neural network combinations, benchmarking performance, like the precision recall F1 scores that we talked about earlier, mm -hmm. comparing how each model or a combination of the model affects uh, the end result. Then uh, after that, like one thing I was super proud of, like here, was that I was able to like integrate. Uh, the neural network into our existing code base, right? Um, and so like every time I do an iteration or a new model update, like I face tasks where I'm gonna have to like change some logic or handle certain cases differently. And like, you know, just things like that of that nature. Mm -hmm. So usually you cannot usually have to rewrite code to, to use some certain neural network. Yeah, I do, yeah. Because yeah, every time you make an iteration, it, it, you run the risk that the neural network could process something differently than when it did before. Did you always want to be, want to be here? <laughs> want to do like, as a, like as an AI engineer? Yeah. No, I never knew I wanted to do this until I was like late in my uh, academic career in undergrad. And I just thought like this was like the coolest thing. I definitely saw the uh, industry embracing it. And I thought like there's enough like web developers and there's enough, you know, uh, mm -hmm. 
like PHP developers that like, why not just do something that no one else is really doing right now. So I just picked machine learning. I jumped right into it. Like instead of learning proper coding principles, I learned how to do like machine learning tasks right off the bat. And that's kind of what I just specialized in and did a bit of a backwards approach where I knew how to maybe make a machine learning neural network, but I didn't really know proper code etiquette and code structure and just had to work backwards. But at the end of the day, like my core, uh, the, the thing that I like the most is machine learning and data structuring and, and, you know, making models. Mm -hmm. Did you always know you're going to be, you want to be a designer? I guess I didn't know that I want to be designer, but I was doing design. Mm. I was making websites and stuff like that. And I had like little server for online game. <laughs> I was like 17. I partnered with the internet provider, local internet provider. I just somehow I met the guy and who was working there, and he said, "Hey, do you need a server for running a game? Yeah, sure, we can give it to you." Promoted basically, and I was like, "Okay, cool, yeah, yeah, why and, not?" Yeah, and I was basically building like kind of events and characters and some logic there, but. It, all I did is I was creating something and that's what I was, oh, okay. That's, this is design. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I had to write some code, but I never enjoyed it really. I mean, mm. I enjoy it to the point, but I yeah. want it's it just to make some, accomplish something or I see it as like, like meditation. I just enjoy doing something with a code yeah. like oh that's yes yeah. git push i like it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best thing and then you open the browser and it works oh yeah that's so cool mm. it doesn't yeah. feel real until you until you actually have it you know like it's like what they say it's like all the debugging and all the times you're pulling your hair asking if your code doesn't work is worth it for when it finally does work yeah yeah so do you push it all to the github as well or it lives in certain its own world no it's it's all on github it's all pushed so it's all properly like you know reviewed um i have weekly calls with like my team with you know cto and, mm. and my mentor and we talk about the stuff that i've created and the things i'm proposing and <laughs> sometimes it's embraced sometimes definitely not uh but that's just how it goes they give me uh constructive criticism and feedback so it's got to go back to the drawing board and kind of keep keep going at it mm -hmm. do you think there is something that person person with the new vision can you bring something to the ai and, and machine learning yeah look i think i'm probably gonna i'm one thing I would like for myself to be is part of the first wave of engineers to actually make applications that leverage AI properly, like actually create applications on your phone that are using neural networks and not just saying, oh, we have a neural network, but you don't really, right? Like mm -hmm. that, like, I think that's already started, but I would like to definitely be like a part of the, the group that makes like full fledged applications using that and showing like, you know, ways to creatively integrate a neural network into maybe simple tasks like an alarm clock but hey like 
you know, if it mm -hmm. can learn your patterns, then that's one less thing you have to do. So. Yeah, it's hard to see AI, you know, in the in the real world. You, you hear about it all the time, though, right? Yeah, but it's the only one place where I see it every single day is is the photos on my iPhone that it mm -hmm. always hey there is a five photos for you featured. No, no. I'm not sure if it's AI. Yeah, that is. It is. Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely uh, an aspect of AI where it's it learned how your face is or the face of others or whatever. If that's what you're mm -hmm. talking about, I'm not too sure. Uh, well, there is, yeah, different aspects to it. Exactly. Yeah. There is one is search when you, I just can type, I need a car photo in iPhone. Maybe not people, mm -hmm. maybe people don't know about it, but if you type document and it will, it will automatically find the documents. That's yeah. Pretty, pretty cool feature. Yeah, so that's that's like that's that happens as far as I know, and like take us to a grain of salt. Like whenever time you do like an update, like you're you're uh doing like an iOS update or something, like sometimes the mo like a, the Apple model will also be including that up update, and within that update, it's able to recognize things like you're saying, like if there's a car in a picture, or a simple task like that. But I bet you, if you ask your Apple, hey, is there like a like a a white slipper? It seems like the hell is that you know so i think apple is still at the point where uh it, it can do tasks like a dog or human or car very very well but the more intricate you go the harder and less likely will to actually achieve the thing you're asking to, for it to do yeah it's pretty bad i was looking yeah. for driver license photo i took a long time ago and i was like should i enter driver license yeah nah i should enter just document and i think i tried yeah, it just it just didn't didn't do it. Yeah, it's 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 tough. It's really tough. Like, and that's what I mean. Apple, look, Apple is one of the most successful companies in the world. It's valued over a trillion. Like, you don't really get bigger than Apple. And look at their machine learning AI, right? Like, like yeah. you just said, like it's not that good. It's cool, but it doesn't really do what you think of AI, right? So that just goes to my point. Like a company with so much money, so much like clout so much resources and that's what they can do mm -hmm. you know so it's really <laughs> like it's really like still really an early adoption phase we're still seeing groundbreaking research and and like this is just the beginning and like i'm super proud that like you know i could be a part of the the early adoption phase and like learn and read and, and like that really just like dedicate my life to it like that's what i want to do like i don't want to do anything else in my life i don't i want to just get better and machine learning and, and AI programming. Mm -hmm. It's just like a passion, I guess. Yeah, it is. It just, yeah, it's just very hard to sometimes to see, to see it, what they did, what they actually do with it. It's all, it's, I, I've been lying to you the whole time. It's actually just like a magic black powder dust <laughs> that you throw on an application and then it's, it works like, you have to you have to buy this back black pouch that comes every month in a subscription. <laughs> it's only they give it only to people with the with the degree. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <They're> qualified. <laughs> Show me the degree, and then you'll be part of our subscription to get the magic black powder. <laughs> magic black AI powder. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Uh, I think we can we can wrap this up on this one. It's a really nice awesome, way of put it.
time flew so thank you for you know for letting me kind of talk about the stuff that i like to work on and i really appreciate you know just uh, the conversation yeah thanks All right, this was our second episode. I hope you listened through the whole thing. It was very nice conversation with Alex and I, we might make another one because I listened to this second time and I still have questions. <laughs> also want to mention that we launched a website, yaosamo.com, where you can see all the links to all platforms where you can listen to the podcast. Thank you very much for listening and see you in the next one. Bye everyone.